This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 105, where we are here with our spoiler-filled review of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to episode 105 of Defenders TV Podcast, where we are spoiling... Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2, with a spoilery discussion of all things webby uh, and slingy and uh, lycra-y. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Yeah, delighted to be back for this one. And Randy and the group, I'm, um, or the trio, if you will, I am the web slinger, also known as Chris. Yes, yes. Again, we're back with, uh, with our summer of Spider-Man, talking about uh, Sam Raimi's 2004 movie spider-man 2 only two years after the first spider-man movie yeah it, the first one made such an impact yeah uh, I, I think this film uh, actually was done in less than two years and i think it was like a couple of days but it was literally from end of release of the first film to when they started this project to when they launched it it was less than two years wow. just over which is phenomenal considering how big the, the cgi is in this movie that's it's quite phenomenal that they did this in such a short period of time Yes, those nuclear fusion balls uh, are something to behold. <laughs> if you want to follow and subscribe to us, please head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes, or you can go to any other uh, good podcast catcher. Just search Defenders TV Podcast and subscribe there. Uh, we are looking at... Uh, Spider-Man 2, and we will be going through, rattling through, in fact, uh, five points uh, of the second movie all about Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this movie was again directed by Sam Raimi, who directed the Evil Dead series and Drag Me to Hell, some fantastic horror movies. I did mention them last time. If you still haven't watched them, get out and watch them, will you? Or stay in and watch them. One or the other. Really good. Um, but this time, he was not joined by the writer of, uh, of Spider-Man, the original uh, 2002 movie. He got a whole raft of writers on this project. We've got Alfred Goff and Miles Miller, who together developed the t- television series Smallville. Uh, and they, they've done loads of other TV together. They t- tend to work together a lot. Uh, they were also joined by Michael Chabon, who wrote uh, John Carter, one of your favourite Disney movies, John. I wouldn't say my favourite, but I think it got a bad rap in the press true true uh, and i did enjoy it yeah. yeah and one other writer on this project was alvin Sargent, uh, who has joined them and wrote the screenplay for this john do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for this movie sure when a failed nuclear fusion experiment results in an explosion that kills his wife dr otto octavius played by alfred molina is transformed into dr octopus a cyborg with deadly metal tentacles Complicating matters are his best friend, James Franco's hatred for Spider-Man and his true love's, Kirsten Dunst, sudden engagement to another man from space. Uh, Doc Ock, obsessed with his work and will do anything to continue his experiment and goes after Spider-Man for Osborne in exchange for a key component for his work. Meanwhile, Spidey's alter ego, Peter Parker, faces fading powers and self-doubt just at the time when the city of New York needs him more than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a much more expansive movie this time, I think. There's a lot more characters in here and a lot more going on. Um, 
but yeah, we're going to probably look at it in our top five points way. Last time we talked about the origin of Peter Parker. There's quite a big, well, the origin of Spider-Man. Uh, Peter Parker, I don't think they went into his origin. But this time it's really about the development of, uh, of Peter Parker's character. Quite a big, uh, quite some big changes here as he gets into adulthood. Yeah, no, absolutely. Peter loses his powers, um, or should we say Spider-Man does, and um, starts to become a, a good old normal nerd like you and me. Um <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Like, obviously, I suppose it's almost uh, he has self-doubt, and that means that he loses his ability. Now, I don't know much about the canon in that sense, but has this happened in the comic books? Is there that moment where the powers suddenly fail him and that, you know, he just loses them or it's down to his self-confidence that he loses them? I've never really experienced this uh, before in the comics that I've read. Mm. Uh, that's not to say it's not out there, but Chris, um, as the guru. As the guru. Um, so th- this is comprised, the, the whole script of this was built on a, a number of comics Um the most prevalent one is called the Spider-Man No More series, mm-hmm. um, which is this where Peter stops being Spider-Man. Not because he loses his powers, but because of more the, the, the duality of having to have two different identities. And sorry, he basically, I think it's like issue 50 of The Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and that scene where, um, even in this, they actually recreated the cover of the comic book um, so the scene where Peter throws his suit into the garbage and you see him walk down the alley, that is the scene, that is the cover of one of that comic books, of the, the issue 50. Um, the losing of powers has happened many times and across many uh, different, both the comics, the animated series, you name it, it's happened. Um, the the psychological aspect of it, I don't remember and I think... Hopefully, some one of our listeners may be able to come back and tell us if this has happened before. Um, I'll need to do a bit of fact checking myself, but I don't think it has. I think this was it's when he loses powers. It's more about uh, an evolution or a change to his power set, or someone has shot him up with something that blocks his powers. Yeah, or stolen them or something. Yeah, it, feel, it feels much more like a um, more like a, a, a Raimi idea uh, here. This concept of of him losing his powers because he's losing his confidence in himself. He's uh, Spider Man is reasonably confident in the comic books, so uh, gen, gen, generally. Uh, but I like this kind of I like this kind of setup to uh, Peter experiencing this idea of going back to uh, being just a normal kid who doesn't have the powers anymore. Yeah, and I I, I think. Yeah, see, like it's even you notice it. Uh, it starts from the very beginning of this film, the the witty banter during battle that Spider Man is known for. Mm-hmm. Like he, it's iconic, and I think that's one of the things a lot of people will love is like as soon as he puts on a mask, he's able to be this charming, witty, um, uh, this person. But he's actually doing it as a mask to block his fear. Yeah, um, and as He's like not many people notice, but if you rewatch this film again, there's less and less witty banter as the fear more creeps into him as a character. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, back to the 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 nerdy Spider Man or the nerdy Peter Parker, okay. less the teenager because what well, we're assuming he's like in his early to late twenties now. 
well, even though he's probably early. about thirty. <laughs> <laughs> early twenties, I would say. He's not that not that far. Not that much has happened between the last movie and this one. It's very it's very close set in time, I think, uh, to the first film. Um, but I do think your your witty banter would be taken away if you're flying through the air, forty stories into the sky in New York, and then you can't fire a web to take you to the next building, uh, which happens yeah. once or twice to poor little uh, poor little Peter in this movie. Um, there's a couple of very proud moments for poor Peter as he uh, as he loses his power, but all brilliantly shot. There's some great funny. Uh, funny moments as well with that yeah and they actually built a specific camera for this film well it was actually built with the first one mm-hmm. to get those kind of the the draw dropping camera shots yeah like they were originally they were only used i think it was in the very last it was only used in the very last scenes of spider-man one mm-hmm. but they used it quite a lot in this and i suppose when you invent a camera to get a particular shot yeah you're going to use it quite a lot so he's like, oh, no, he's this his power again. Oh, he's falling. <laughs> oh, no, he lost his power again. It's falling. Well, that just made it worth it. Okay, yeah. now we, we paid for the camera itself. Absolutely. I was thinking that, yeah. yeah. There, was, there must have been a lot of car insurance claims uh, from, from this because he falls onto so many car hoods and uh, the, the tops. It looked really painful as well. I mean, even as Spider-Man, I'm there going... How did he survive that fall? <laughs> By the grace of God. I think my my favorite one of these is uh, is when he's swinging through the air for the first time after getting his powers back and goes, "I'm back, I'm back," and then hits the car and it's, "Oh, my back, my back, my back." As he walks away, <laughs> yeah, it does look really painful, really well sold by uh, by Tobey Maguire in this uh, in the in these moments where he hurts himself pretty badly. Yeah, really cool. Um, but yeah, obviously this this time we're in our second film. We have a brand new villain in this in this one. So our second point really is the the villain of the piece. We have Dr. Otto Octavius, another one of the fantastic rogues gallery for Spider-Man. He does, yeah. in, Mar- in the Marvel Universe, he really does have most of the big villains uh, in the Marvel Universe seem to either come from the past of of, uh, of Spider-Man or have fought against Spider-Man. So we had Green Goblin last time, a really big character, and now Doc Ock. Um, I love this storyline. I love this, oh, this creation of the character. Yeah. I love that he starts out with his wife being killed, uh, and that's what kind of propels him into madness, along with him being controlled by the nanobots. Uh, by the arms. Yeah. yeah, and unfortunately, his failsafe was a little too flimsy and a little too exposed. Yes, yes. It's just this tiny thing in glass on the back of my neck uh, that's causing, making sure that these things can't take over my mind. Oh, it got smashed, did it? Oh. Well, there goes my failsafe. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not going to build a failsafe for a failsafe, or you know, put it, house it in non-shattering kind of like carbonite. What, like the stuff that his arms are made out of? Yeah, yeah. almost like that. Like something that I could like make sure it never fails. No, no, no. I like putting it in glass. I like to look dangerously. Absolutely. Uh, but there are two big scenes that form the creation of Doc Ock. Obviously, there's there's the the moment of triumph turned to failure, which is where he's. Uh, harnessing the power of the sun in his uh, in his office, I'm a bit surprised that as a scientist he didn't realize that the sun has a huge magnetic pull to it. Um, yeah, I thought that was oh, a bit yeah. surprising. And even I know that, harnessing I the power of the sun in his office. True. Um, <laughs> yes, it's like, like we're not going to do this in a safety environment <laughs> where there's nothing around us for miles, like, like they did when they tested the nuclear bombs. Yeah. No, no, no. Let's do it in downtown Manhattan. Yeah. Like you know, CERN, uh, the CERN laboratory is underground mm-hmm. that goes around like three different countries uh he decided to do it in his office block yeah <laughs> uh, yeah he was that confident. Yeah. He was that but confident. despite that i have to say doc ock is one of my favorite characters i think 
Alfred Molina plays him really, really well oh, yeah. and gives hope to those who don't have abs that they can be in a Marvel film um, as well, <laughs> uh, certainly. And uh, But I, I love how he plays um, sort of the conflicted Dr. Ock here and, and how just, again, how, how the, the arms just work. I, I love how they kind of help him along. All of that. He's such a great mm. villain. Um, I really enjoyed Alfred Molina's portrayal of him here. Absolutely. Okay, there are a few dodgy things around and about him, but I mean, he, he was really, really good. And I think as well, you see Sam Raimi's horror bent here much more in the second one. I mean, the, the moment where all the... Um, all, all the surgical staff are being taken out by the arms and the close-in of the screams and the shadows. That, to me, was proper classic. A uh, little hint to, to Raimi's uh, ho- horror uh, background. I, and I really like that. And in fact, I think there was a lot of those screams uh, in the in this movie where it, the, the shot just panned to people in New York doing howling screams as this sort of cyborg guy with with his tentacles his mechanical tentacles sort of is roaming the streets of new york and i I really enjoyed that absolutely we didn't really talk about a huge amount of scenes in the last episode uh when we talked about spider-man 2002 this movie if you don't talk about the hospital scene you haven't seen it like the, the, the the hospital scene is probably one of the best um, horror movie scenes and I love that they gave this it almost feels like even though there's loads of extra writers on this movie it almost feels like they gave Sam Raimi a bit more power after having such success with Spider-Man 2002 100% and like even the the nice nod to Evil Dead with the little chainsaw yeah yeah, yeah. like and the hand reaching for it and then gets knocked out yeah. like it was just and then there's actually one scene in that hospital uh, very quickly sorry one part of that scene was where you saw uh, the camera pan. It was the it, you as if you were one of the tentacles, and it was literally that is a direct rip of Evil Dead One and Two, <laughs> panning around. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it was fantastic. And I do love this. So, as an evil nemesis, nemesis um, of, uh, of from the Rogues Gallery, I love Doc Ock. Yeah, our some of our listeners may know that there was a run. A couple of years ago, called the Superior Spider-Man, where um, Doc Ock takes over Peter Parker's body, um, and it's a fantastic run, and it really was the, the character showing what this genius character could do mm-hmm. if he was perceived a good man as Peter Parker and uh, Spider-Man are. Um, it was fantastic. Now that has not nothing to do with this this film. Uh, this film just takes a the base of what um, kind of Doc Ock should be. Um, I do love that scene. Again, another scene, as we kind of mentioned. As you mentioned, we didn't mention a lot in the last one. So here's another one. The scene with uh, old JJ going, Doc Ock, uh, Professor Squid. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. What about Doc Ock? <laughs> like, that's still yeah. just a brilliant scene. It is fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah, that is really fantastic. good. Yeah. I think another good scene as well from this that has Doc Ock in it. I mean, on top of the train going through the streets of New York, um, just oh, of course, yeah, yeah, and we'll definitely so get good, yeah. so dynamic. Um, 
Absolutely loved it. I do like the fact that before it does go out of control, it just whizzes through a station without stopping. <laughs> that would have been um, slightly odd, but I was like, why is it not stopped at that station? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> very cool, very cool. The train nerd in me, unfortunately, realised it would have stopped. <laughs> Could have. And that would have been even funnier. <laughs> I did like that. But yeah, just to come on to the supporting characters in the in the movie, Chris, you mentioned uh, J. Jonah Jameson. He does get that great moment of, of naming Doc Ock. What I love about that scene is how it starts, where the camera pans in on the head editor of the Daily Bugle, J. Jonah Jameson, and he's going... Wow, who would have thought it? A guy called Dr. Octavius gets eight limbs. Uh, that's amazing. Who <laughs> would have seen that coming? Uh, brilliant little moment. And yes, that's Ted Raimi that comes up to him and suggests the Doc Ock name. The, uh, Ted Raimi was one of the stars of the Evil Dead movies. You'll see him in, uh, in Ash vs. Evil Dead, the TV series, and obviously the brother of Sam Raimi. So he does get, uh, does get a bit of work out of his brother at times. So. Oh, he yeah. gets quite a lot of work <laughs> out of his brother. Yes, he Although saying that, in, I think he was in Xena. Yes, he was. Yeah, and uh, uh, Sam Raimi got a couple of uh, writing and directorial gig gigs through uh, for Zena, for yes. his brother. Zena's, so Zena's you keep it in the family. Bruce Campbell. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well. yeah, that one too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, there's way too many links oh, yeah. for this. For, for this, um, I, I yeah, I loved I loved JJ in this um, as a character in the comic book, in the TV show, in the comics. He is always a. He's a driving force for Peter and Spider-Man in terms of it forces. He's a narrate. He's a, typically used as a narrative point. In other words, to get it from point A to point B, here is the catalyst. Um, but he was used slightly better in this. Obviously, we see his JJJ Junior. Um, in this one as well, uh, which that's is always a lot good. Of J's. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's this JJ. I was like, that's in my head. I'm like, oh, JJJ Junior. Yes, JJJ Junior, or is it J? Anyway, we see his son, the famous astronaut. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think probably the best point, and I think I'm going to steal uh, one of Derek's points on this one, is where we see JJ wearing the suit. Oh yes, it's oh, just hilarious. It's it's just one of those things. Like we mentioned it's a cigar as well. Yes. Yeah, we did mention it last time about about JJ's hatred of uh, of Spidey, the fact that he's trying to take him down a peg. But a couple of moments in this film, you do see JJ take on the idea that um, that he does love what Spider Man does. Um, he wears the spider suit. He's sat, he's he's in the office um, pretending to be Spider Man, like we all would if he got access to that suit. You know, obviously. <laughs> uh, but he does have that moment looking at the suit on the wall and realizing things are getting worse for New York now that Spider Man's gone. That he realizes that. It's his fault. If he hadn't done the attack on Spider-Man, if he hadn't constantly attacked him over and over again through the press or through his his paper, um, that Spider-Man wouldn't have given up. Uh, That's what he's saying. That's what he believes. And then Peter takes back his costume to go and wear it in the final battle, and instantly uh, J. Jonah Jameson turns back to his good old self. Um, That guy's a thief. (laughs) Get me photographs. Yeah. But I like I like that J. John Jameson did have an arc, and you did see a bit of his heart in this uh, in this film as well. It's not just the comedy character; he also has a little bit of an arc as well. I think he's just it's that character that is required in this film. Yeah. Um, you know, just to give that counterpoint to it being almost too saccharine. I think, um, and the same goes for the first one. He's just that great counterpoint to everyone who 
you know, within the films are gushing over the deeds of Spider-Man. And it, it, it's that nice little bit of cynicism mm-hmm. uh, that comes into it. You know, why is he doing this? What's he doing it for? Like, he is the epitome of cynicism. Uh, and I really like that counterpoint because, you know, ultimately Spider-Man is such, you know, heartfelt in terms of what he does and where he comes from to do what he does that it 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 does play around with that through uh jj jameson and yeah the 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 him on the desk pretending to fire webs uh, with a massive cigar in his mouth um really good and then of course as soon as spider-man takes the suit back is like he's a thief (laughs) it's just I, i love it we, yeah, I, I, I don't think this role would have been what it is without J.K. Simmons, the actor who portrays J.J. Absolutely. Um, and it's good to know that he's now joined the DC Universe, just so hopefully our fans should know that. He is now joining the one and only Batman himself. He's not going to be Batman himself. He's going to be Commissioner Gordon. That's right. Well, I suppose right. unless he, he may be Batman at some point. You never know. Based on uh, the comic books. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I'm really intrigued to see what he brings to the role over there. But there's loads of other supporting characters, obviously, continued on from uh, from the first movie. We have obviously got Harry Osborn, whose father was killed by Spider-Man, and he found out at the end of the first movie. Um, much more antagonistic relationship between him and Spider-Man in this in this movie. Uh, he's much more in, in wants to take down Spider-Man, really, not realising his best friend is behind the mask. Until later on in the film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, Harry, 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 I, I don't like Harry in this film. Mm. I'm putting it very bluntly. Yeah. Um, it, it's, they, they overused him to a degree. Like, we understand. Now, I'm not saying, like, Franco is bad in this. He's not. The the, the acting as well. Is a, basically, I don't like the fact that what they did was they tried to force it from point B to point C, but they didn't do it quick enough. Yes. So it just kind of drags out yeah. a bit going, yes, we understand he doesn't like him. Yeah. So that scene in the gala where he's slapping Peter, I was almost, you constantly want Peter just to stop his hand and kind of get slightly angry. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't, and it's just like okay, we get like it keeps going and going until the the the, the very end scene where we see the the now one part on this again, uh, and I'm kind of jumping ahead, but slightly, and okay. I apologize. The the psychosis that Harry gets at the end, mm-hmm. yeah, makes no sense. Uh-huh. So the the duality and psychosis that came for Norman was from the the cause of the gas. Yes, yeah. But then, all of a sudden, at the end of this film, his son is hearing voices too, and you're like, um, "Yeah, I know." Yeah, and, and I think I think we were left at the end of Spider-Man One, knowing that Harry is going to become the Green Goblin and take on the mantle of the Green Goblin. We have, that's that was even in the cinema when I saw that the first time. That's exactly what I knew was going to happen. He lived in the same house as his father, saw his father get murdered by Spider-Man. You go, well, that means he's going to put on the suit and fight Spider-Man in the next movie. That's what's going to happen. And the fact that they spread that storyline throughout the movie and it's only right at the end that you get the feeling again that in the next film, when we come back next time, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's going to be throwing on that, that suit and attacking him. But yeah, the, the, uh, the psychosis, yeah, I don't know whether that can just suddenly develop immediately that suddenly he's hearing voices. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it was very odd. It almost felt a bit supernatural in, in terms of 
Um, you know, you you kind of thought immediately, you know, it's Book of the Evil Dead, really. Yeah. Here, <laughs> that there's some kind of explanation comes from that, and yeah, I mean, it was way too drawn out. And of course, like we don't see the Green Goblin in his new form as harry osborne until spider-man 3 but we do see him see his father's kind of base of operations at the top of their their mansion apartment and like even if they just had that element where Mm -hmm. something had happened the mirror had swung open or whatever but yet the the voices was just crazy weird yeah yeah so speaking of from weird to lovable aunt may Mm mm-hmm her her arc in this story is is somewhat. I don't know. I I get, I get the way they're doing it, but then they play her off at sometimes as quite a um, a, a bit of a a witch. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I the scene where Peter pours his heart out to her and tells her the truth, which is important to both of them. Yes, and she just gets up. It's like you think it was just okay. You, your your nephew has just told you he's the cause of the death of your husband. Yeah, I get that's a tough one, but they just the 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 scene always feels weird to me. I know I know what you mean. And yeah, it, it's also probably it feels to me the reason why it feels weird is because of the length of the film. Um, to be honest, there's so many scenes that happen after that scene with Aunt May where she's just walked out on Peter and let him go home without telling him she still loves him or anything like that. The two of these characters are so close together. He's that That's his support. They, he goes away and then comes back what looks like about a week later when she's, uh, unfortunately, her house has gone to foreclosure. She has to sell out or sell up and move out. Um, and he's arrived back not being told that this is what's happening with his aunt. And then she tells him, of course I love you. I've never stopped loving you. But it it feels really weird that so many scenes have gone by. She doesn't seem like that yeah. kind of person to leave yes. Peter in the lurch no, absolutely. for that long. No. But yeah. narratively in the storyline, he loses uh, Harry as a friend, he loses Aunt May, he loses MJ, he goes to his absolute bottom, or he thinks he does, uh, and that's why the cute cake scene with his uh, with the neighbour's daughter, or the landlord's daughter, is, is a nice moment for him, because he's lost everything in his life. And there's still one person that will just reach out and kind of take him out of his depression, which is which is a nice moment. But but it does feel like Aunt May would never leave him um, like that. No, I mean, no, it, it, it's like she needed a moment. I I, I would have understood that. Absolutely. But the the scene where they effectively have that conversation that she still loves him and all that, you know, that should have happened there. And even if. It works in the story, I, I understand that, but if she was the third person to, you know, teeter on the edge of uh, sort of distancing herself from him and then immediately come back and then we start to get the kind of, you know, Mary Jane coming back to him and so on and him regaining his confidence and all that, it still would have worked because I think otherwise, yeah, and May, it, it was it was a toughie and, mm-hmm. and a weirdy kind of part of the of the storyline. I mean, even just the nitty-gritty of the foreclosure stuff. I mean, there are elements through these Spider-Man <laughs> movies where you're kind of like going, and certainly with Spider-Man, so please don't dwell on this. We, I mean, okay, we get that she's in trouble financially, but this shouldn't have so much focus on it in the yeah. movie. It, it, it can be dealt with, I'm sure, by better scriptwriters than I would ever be to deal with it in a much 
more condensed way. In in the yeah. same way, her apology it spread out, and so next thing, they're boxing up to to move her stuff out, and like it 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 just kind of they could have done more with Harry Osborne in that time. Uh, they could have got him be putting on the the Green Goblin outfit. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like the foreclosure idea is coming from that moment of realization when you get to adulthood that your parents are real people. Uh, almost, it's that moment where Peter realizes that she's going through really tough times, and there's absolutely nothing he can do for her. He's also going through really tough times. He's working on a pizza delivery boy's salary, you know, and and the occasional couple of bucks thrown at him by J. Jonah Jameson for some photographs. He can't do anything about this. And I, I, I kind of love the hope that comes from Aunt May, where she goes, it's just a house. Um, all my memories are still intact. Everything I remember from living in there, you're still around. I'll move out and I'll move into an apartment that's cheaper for me to keep me going. Yeah. It's a very, it's kind of a serious storyline that's in there. Um, but there is so much other stuff going on that it does feel a little lost in this film. Is she still in her house uh, in Spider-Man 3 or has is she now in... in- her new apartment. Um, I know Peter pulls up on a motorbike to her apartment in, in Spider-Man ah, Three. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, so she does move out. That does happen. Um, but yeah, like I, I do think it's a really serious storyline. And again, if you start to pair this back to the core characters and what was going on with them, that's a really nice storyline. But there's just so much else going on uh, that it gets yeah. a little bit lost. Definitely. Okay. Well, look, we've talked about one love of his life. Let's talk about the next, which is obviously MJ. Mm. Um, so this this is good. I like. I, so, at the end of episode one, or episode one, oh my God, we're we're so we're so used to doing TV in these <laughs> episodes. No, at the end of the first film, um, the after the kiss, uh, and Peter walks off. She lightly touches her lips, and the realization, oh my God, is Peter Spider Man? I have no idea. Anyway, um, that has happened, and she still knows that she wants to be with Peter, mm-hmm. um. But then we see that Peter has become Peter has become non-committal to a degree. Yeah. In other words, that he's just kind of constantly missing things, and because he won't come to her play, and he's missed it a couple of times, she goes and falls into the arms of an astronaut, as you do, as you do, as you do, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah he really can't manage balancing the life of Spider-Man with the life of Peter Parker. That's that's where it's coming from. He's trying his best. You can definitely see that, but. Um, but he can't not go after crime, and when you live in a city like New York, which is where this crime's happening all the time, um, kind of get pulled out, pulled out of things occasionally. Although it does come and find him in uh, <laughs> this time. Like, how unlucky could you possibly be to be uh, on your way five minutes early for the play where your girlfriend is, and then you get attacked by some guys on the street, uh, knocked off your bike, and you're the only person that can stop them from <laughs> from uh, of course uh, from uh, yeah from killing other people. So yeah. Oh. Fun fact, that flip scene was actually Tobey Maguire, not a stuntman. That's fabulous. Yeah, that's scene. great. Fabulous yeah, I know. I, used, I still love that scene. Right. Um, but yes, so let's keep on MJ because otherwise I'm going to get constantly uh, kind of pulled off track. Uh-huh. But um, so this arc I did like. Okay. In, I like all the way up to even the, the, the cheesy scene where they're sitting together in the massive web. At the end. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Like, like it's just, it was so good. And then, the, okay, we have the trope of that she's running away in the wedding dress as she runs out of the church <laughs> and comes to his apartment. But that's still even good because it can't, she, it, the best way is it crystallizes with this is go get him, tiger. Like, that for me is like, 
he has her approval and that line alone I've been waiting for that for two films that's true that's just true and it was just like Mary Jane moment yeah 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 Yeah. Um, and it's just great that that, that he needs her he needs this he needs that support in this not this film but across the comic books and everything yeah so just getting that was fantastic and getting yeah getting to that okay it took a bit of time but yeah we got there yeah yeah i think i think for me i I mentioned in our review of the first movie that uh taking him out of high school was the wrong impulse uh it was probably done more so because toby Maguire's age and because the rest of the main cast's age was to take him out of high school (laughs) this feels like a high school story i could really see her being in the school play and him not making it to the school play so she goes out with somebody else to make him jealous in in school um, when you live in a city like New York and you're going to a play on Broadway and you're going out with an astronaut to make your boyfriend jealous and then uh, and then get engaged to him and go to a wedding, <laughs> you know, they, these seem like too big. I, I don't know. It, it feels it feels like this should be a much smaller, more compact story. And you could tell exactly the same arc of the character within a high school setting. Uh, it didn't feel like it, it felt like they it felt like they would never meet each other again once they broke yes. up. Yes. Uh, there's no reason for them to be hanging around each other or seeing each other at all. Yeah. I mean it, it was it's it's that kind of strange thing where actually you're looking at the movie going will you both just grow up in the sense that because they've been moved out of um high school mm. um and it, it it seems like the emotions that they're still running with are still ones that you would expect to take place in high school. Yeah. Yet they're being portrayed as having their own apartment, you know, about to go into marriage uh, and all of that. And I think, um, yeah, it, it felt slightly unreal, the, the whole thing. Having said that, I do completely agree with you, Chris, that the outcome of that, which is them realizing they should be together and that uh, they want to be together mm-hmm. i think is really good but i think leading up to that some of it just felt um a bit strange in the context of how they had developed the the franchise in that sense almost like it was forced possibly mm-hmm. o- almost like there were four writers on the projects yeah almost but no actually so even the jj j junior and was forced by the studio because they wanted potentially have access to Man Wolf in the future, if they were to spin this off. Is that who um, he becomes? Yes. Man Wolf. Okay. Man Wolf. Interesting. I al- I always knew there was a connection with with the, uh, the character of uh, of Jonah Jameson Junior. Um, I thought he was the one that brought back the symbiote Venom symbiote. And from yeah, space. that is, that is the, the other, other thing. One? Correct. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So that yeah. is it. So again, they brought him in for. There was always a discussion of whether and when Venom, because of his rise in popularity in the mm-hmm. comic books, when he would come into it. So they wanted to introduce him now as a character uh, so that when they start showing him in space, then in the next one, they would be able to have him there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also they needed someone else to do an upside down kiss on the couch just because Tobey Maguire would not be there. <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, that is a bit of a creepy moment um, where she's trying to see if she could have a relationship with somebody else who's able to kiss her upside down. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, slightly yeah. weird. I so mean, let's move on. <laughs> and is this the one where Kirsten Dunst looks constantly stoned um, <laughs> in the movie? To be honest, I think I would completely agree with her given 
everything that's happened to her um, and the trauma that she's been through, mm-hmm. I think probably some medical marijuana might uh, be of use. But <laughs> the, she looks really drunk. She does. It, like, there was a lot of discussion on this, and everyone goes that she was she's happy there, did she want to be there, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But overall, the, the the weirdest part was just her hair colour slowly changing constantly through every scene mm-hmm. um, because <laughs> the different levels of dye, because she is a blonde. Yes. As in, uh, in real life, so they had to keep redying her hair to that flame orange uh, slash red, and it just constantly changed. And that was always what kind of <laughs> bothered me about her scenes in this whole. Every time I watched it, even when I rewatched it, I was like, her hair's a different color again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> continuity, people. Continuity. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I, I have to say, overall, uh, as you say, guys, the the ending between these two characters when they when they finally have that moment together and she sends them off to battle the villains uh, in the city of New York. I love that moment. I think, and I think it kind of finally gives MJ uh, MJ the comic book character has her arrival. She's not just written between between Gwen Stacy and someone else's image of, of MJ like she was in the first movie she really does feel like Mary Jane yeah uh, absolutely yes. yeah, yeah. so I want to move it on just to talk about the hero villain relationship mm. and the best way I can kind of bring that up is the now iconic train battle scene um, where they're fighting on the train okay. and so then the good. way that Peter sacrifices himself and then is lifted by the the public um what do you guys do do you guys love this scene as much as me or because for me this very much signifies what the two different characters are yes one is self-sacrificing and will basically nearly although i never understood why he fainted um but he fainted because of the exhaustion i'm assuming oh yeah of stopping the train and then he's very much carried aloft by the people, yeah, uh, and placed down. I presume this was a this was a, uh, a take that Superman kind of kind of moment. You know, Superman is faster than a speeding train. Was that right? <laughs> speeding <laughs> bullets. Speeding bullet. Stop a speeding train. That's the one. Sorry, uh, which is what Spider Man does here. So, uh, so he takes the pressure of a full train behind him, uh, trying to make sure that he that he saves the people in New York, and it's yeah. New York is behind you. So again, another another thing for this character. He is he is New York's hero. He's not the hero of the world. He is he is a hero that will save things that are going on in his hometown. So uh, always have to have New York, particularly in these films. It, it's kind of a love letter to New York, um, really. But the actual relationship between the hero and villain in the movie, I think it starts out a little bit earlier than that. Obviously, you've got um, you've got Doc Ock who loses his wife, the love of his life, and that's what pushes him over the edge and you've got Peter that's struggling with the idea of whether Mary Jane is the woman that he wants to live with for the rest of his life so um, and he starts to lose that relationship with her whereas he can get it back and Doc Ock can't so there is that kind of relationship between those two characters as well which I thought was quite a, a, a good touch in the film yeah and I suppose so where I was going with the train scene is the just differences in the character in that that um, Doc Ock is willing to do anything to to get the job done, Absolutely. to get what he needs to get done. So he picks up people and throws them at Peter and away from the speeding train. Mm-hmm. Whereas you then have Peter constantly trying to sacrifice himself for these people. Yeah, no. That's, I suppose, the very much difference in the characters. Where they're both men of science. They both 
are like that scene where they're having dinner with Doc Ock's wife. Mm-hmm. You see them. They goes, "Oh, Peter, I very much enjoy your company." Ho 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 ho! In his very tonal English voice, <laughs> um, which is very strange for an American doctor. But anyway, they learned that in college, though, right? When I mean, you get your doctor, yes. you learn English. Uh, yes, yeah, so you how to speak English in a very high fluted high society way, if you will. Oh no, uh, we did a we did a master's yeah, he was in a Harvard. Wasp. But, but I do think it's a beautiful scene. I love that there is that moment of telling Peter, don't focus on your work. Don't push yourself down the path of excluding your friends and excluding the people that you love because you wouldn't end off with a relationship like the one I have with my wife. Um, you know, that's that's kind of the point of that scene. I thought it was a beautiful idea to have that, Absolutely. that kind of relationship between the two of them. And then, of course, she gets scared by a massive piece of glass, yeah. uh, which is such an amazing... Though I remember first seeing that and hearing the... Oh, yeah. Chunk sound. Yeah. I was like, that was something out of a comic book. Literally, that... Ch- <laughs> it was the first time I could actually see... I've ever, I've ever heard the word kathunk. <laughs> and went, oh, yeah, that's what that sound that's was. how it pronounced. Yeah. Yeah, really, really reminiscent of uh, of the first Omen film. Um, as oh, yeah. Glass goes through uh, the body of the priest, I think, is, is, is who, how he gets killed in that film. So, um, so yeah, really reminiscent. Another great horror moment from Sam Raimi here. Yeah. Again, another great horror, horror director. So, yeah. One thing that we just need to kind of end on is the the multiple battles or the culmination in battles. I suppose that's kind of the final point I want to bring. Mm-hmm. The, the, how, what do you guys think of this 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 final battle down in the wharfs again in the original place where the the, the explosion happened, uh, and then how the battle is resolved, uh, and then also how the yeah, let's start with that. I, I have one problem with this, which has only now happened since I rewatched it. Okay. But can, I'll let you guys go first. Yeah, I mean, I actually like the final battle in the sense of its interplay between Doc Ock and Spider Man. I, I do like that. Unfortunately, it's kind of completely <laughs> undermined by putting. Uh, a nuclear fusion uh, reactor or a mini sun into the Hudson uh, River. Um, Thank you! Yes! And that somehow being the the end of it. Um, but I, I kind of like the idea that whatever the, the, the immediate threat was that Doc Ock... I liked how he turns his his consciousness back on towards his mechanical arms so that they obey him. I really yeah. like that little switch at the end because, like you were saying, they're both men of science and, you know, kind of Peter or Spider-Man, you know, he goes for Doc Ock's uh, reason. You know, he he tries to bring his reason on board to to save everyone. I mean, there's... MJ is flapping in the wing, screaming. Sorry, is flapping in the wind as she's being pulled towards the the the, the mini sun. But um, I I liked how that all kind of played out. Really, I did think it was really funny when um, Peter Parker is holding up a side of a building and MJ is underneath him and they're having a conversation. Um, I was just like. 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> I think that's just the weirdest moment where they kind of talk lovey-dovey as yeah. Peter is straining under the weight of the side of a building. Uh, definitely a comic book panel, you can tell that, absolutely. Yeah. But it's yeah. roll out of the way, MJ. Roll out of the yeah, way. Please. Yeah. Uh, my back. No, 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 continue continue smiling deathly at me. Yeah. Let us continue yeah. this moment. I mean, oh, wait. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, if he had back problems falling out of the, the sky onto the, onto the cars... Uh-huh down the alleyway then like he's really just thrown out about four of his discs at that stage um but i I did think that was a hilarious moment and i think unfortunately the the hub of that final battle for me is punctuated with just a bit of disconnect sometimes that scene and just the the notion that yeah, a mini sun is being put into Hudson. Oh, yeah. And it is a shame that Doc Ock followed it down as well, that he couldn't escape. I, again, we get the death of another big villain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think or for Doc do Ock... Or do we? Yeah, I mean, we don't know for sure, but, you know, he's just fallen into a sun, I presume, that's yeah. still cooling down, but is still 8,000 million degrees C or something. But it's okay. It's in the Hudson River. Yeah. It's okay. It, it's melted through the earth and has come out somewhere north of Brisbane at this stage, <laughs> I think. Uh, but I, 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 I have to say, I liked the inclusion of Mary Jane in this in this scene. I think because of the reason that there is... Um, that there is this kind of connection between Doc Ock and Peter Parker, that the two of them uh, had that conversation about their relationships earlier on in the movie. Yeah. I always hate having the screaming girl at the end of the movie and as if that's her only purpose, but it felt justified more than it does in most of the Spider-Man films, even. Uh, it felt justified that he would go after Peter Parker's love um, because he lost his own. And that's what it, that's what it kind of feels like. Definitely. So. That makes sense. Mm. Yeah, no. Um, so, for me, this... This, up until my rewatching, thanks guys, this has always been my favourite Spider-Man film. Yeah. 100%. Um, I had never, in my original couple of watchings of this, when I had it on DVD and so you saw it in the cinema, I never questioned putting the sun into the Hudson River. <laughs> it kind of only came up to me when I rewatch it now, and I'm like, really? <laughs> really? Oh, what? You- so you just... <laughs> Yeah, no. That's pretty sure that's not how it works, people. Yeah, you you can freeze it for later for when our own son uh, dies out. There you go. Put it in a freezer yeah. bag and put it into a commercial uh, freezer. <laughs> yeah, it was just such a random way of closing it. I'm like, no, you. This was brilliant, and now I. Reality is taking this away from me. This film. No, don't let it do it, Chris. What did you no, think of the actual exactly. final battle between the two characters? So I love this final battle. I I really do because of everything you guys have mentioned. Mm-hmm. Like the, the the even the bit where he manages to change Doc Ox. Like yeah. they could have had the punch out scene. They could have redone the Green Goblin scene where it's punch punch death piece. Yeah. But no, the 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 heart and soul of this character was this that he was able to speak on on a par on a level with doc ock in that he was able to go you don't need to be this person Mm -hmm. you need to help me and that bit where he does go down with the ship or the invention i thought was always lovely um the ending with mary jane as you said having her there was fantastic because what we've talked about her arc the ending it had to get to that point but uh, one thing I will also say is um, MJ needs to start wearing bras 
um, if she is going to be hanging around Peter Parker. Uh, so both in the previous one where she's stuck in the rain, um, she's not wearing a bra. And in this fi- final scene in the second one, um, she decides not to wear bras. And in the dress, I know it's a sundress, it's a beautiful dress, but she needs to wear it. Like seriously, if you're going to be fighting like super <laughs> villains, I'm pretty sure you need support. Uh, like you don't want to get back problems. Uh, no, of course, ladies and gentlemen, I am joking. But this is just something that's always been pointed out to me that um, for a kids' film, this, this this has a surprising amount of nipples. It's almost like they wanted to go against the Batman. Uh, what was it, Batman Forever, with the the mm. bat suit with the nipples yep. uh, and George Clooney? Um, but anyway, so to wrap up my thoughts on the the final battle, I really think this was a, a it was a fantastic way. That to finish the climax, if you mm-hmm. will, in that they they brought both the violence and the emotional pieces that storylines that were all coming. Typically, you would either try and do it through one or two different scenes, and then, but they managed to kind of bring it all together: the Mary Jane thread, the the, the Doc Ock violence thread, the science thread, and then the emotional journey of Peter and no understanding that he needs to be both people. Absolutely. Both Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Absolutely. Gentlemen, do we have any notes on the film? Uh, like I mentioned last time, the, the cameos again stood out to me. We had Bruce Campbell this time as the uh, as the excellent doorman at, uh, at Mary Jane's play, um, blocking Peter from getting into the play. I liked that he had a little banter with him beforehand where he's kind of saying, oh, you're looking well, um, and then still doesn't let him into the play, <laughs> which is just just taking that bit of power that he has, uh, which is which is always a Bruce Campbell staple, really good. Um, and this time we have Stan Lee again, another uh, cameo where he is uh, he is saving a woman from uh, from the debris that's falling between uh, during the fight between Spidey and Doc Ock. So he has another hero moment. I like the way Sam Raimi's using um, Stan Lee for his cameos. It's unlike the other movies where he's kind of you know a pizza delivery guy or a flower delivery guy or you know just has a little quip or a one liner. Uh, in these ones, he's a- an actual hero. That's quite cool. Yeah, he did create one of the best heroes about. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. One of the bits I loved was uh, the opening sequence in this. Yeah, um, was done by the world-renowned artist of Alex Ross, which I, I just it was a nice way. Typically, it wasn't like previously in Spider-Man, and they just all these flashbacks. It was a nice way to pay pay homage to one of the best artists out there who has done Spider-Man, and to recap the events of the first film. Absolutely, he did uh, Marvels as well, didn't he? And that series, he did. yeah, beautiful, beautiful yeah. artwork. Yeah, really good. And then just the final kind of, I mentioned the other piece about the, the iconic um, scene from Spider-Man No More, which was issue 50 of The Amazing Spider-Man, mm-hmm. uh, being that scene where the, the suit's in the garbage can. But for me, I didn't notice this until I was recently looking at IMDb and um, just kind of like checking a few things on the, the, who, who the actors and actresses were. But apparently, this is it's quite nice. Sam Raimi, you got to love him for this. If you look closely at Peter's apartment in some of the early shots, you can see the picture he took of Mary Jane uh, back before he was just bitten by the radioactive spider. Oh, right. Yeah. So that, that photo is actually in his apartment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. And it, apparently Sam Raimi went on to say that this was, yeah, he purposely wanted that in there because this was the last brief moment of innocence before Spider-Man or Peter Parker's life changed forever. Very cool. Very nice. There we go. Oh, and of course, there is one other note um, that I should add in here. When they're going through the names of what to call Doc Ock, Mm -hmm. um, 
he says Doc, Doctor Strange. That's and then right. he goes, it's already taken. <laughs> oh, very cool. Yeah. Oh, yes. So in the Sam Raimi Spidey universe, there was a Doctor Strange as well? Yeah, exactly. And that's a nice little touch to, obviously, Stanley and Steve Ditko being co-creators of, of these two iconic characters, although one obviously being more iconic than the other. And by that, I do mean Spider-Man. I do hasten to add Oh, my God! Well, I would always recognise that. I might be a strange fanatic, but... Okay, that doesn't come across very well on podcast. I might be a massive fan of uh, of Doctor Strange. Strange. uh, But, yeah, I mean, I do realise Spider-Man is a a much bigger entity uh, than Doctor Strange. But they team up well together as well. Uh, Just like uh, us three. Very cool. So then, Derek... Do you defend this movie, Spider-Man 2? I absolutely defend this. This is head and shoulders above the first film, which I did defend. The first film is uh, has, has been a favourite. I really like it. But it kind of shows that there's a couple of things in movies people say you don't do. You don't make a movie this quickly after a successful film because you'll never get it right. You don't have four writers involved because they'll never be able to, to get the character right again. Um, this movie dispenses with all that, makes a great character uh, in Doc Ock, adds him to a great universe, has loads going on. I hope we didn't sound too negative uh, when we were joking about some of the things that happened in the movie, because I absolutely love this film and would watch it you know, once a week for the rest of my life happily. I uh, really did enjoy this film. Um, one, of the, one of the best superhero films out there, I think. John, do you defend Spider-Man 2? Yes, I do defend uh, this movie. Spider-Man 2. Um, I give it four and a half screaming surgeons out of five. Nice. Um, yeah, I this I really enjoyed uh, when I watched it in the cinema. Um, I preferred it to the first one because Doc Ock, for me, is the most iconic uh, Spider-Man villain. I really uh, love the relationship that him and Spidey have. Mm-hmm. And I, I just really thought that this was a film that got into its groove um, and really um, went with it so soon after the first Spider-Man. I really enjoyed it. Yet yeah, there is a little issue with the the fusion ball um, and the ending there. Um, but I think I, I just love the... The, just the the patter of this i think the 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 railway the train scene with them fighting on it that idea that you know spider-man is new york and new york is with spider-man it is really important for that character having harry moving towards his dark side and discovering peter parker as uh, spider-man is really good uh, as well i think it's um it just gets the it gets the balance really right, uh, and, and it to me it just works. So I absolutely do defend this uh, movie, Spider Man Two. So Chris, do you defend uh, this movie? Guys, I, I'm not even gonna lie. Of course I do. Um, this is my favorite Raimi film, right? Um, in, uh, and I I mean that not just in the Spider Man arc. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Evil Dead, mm-hmm. and this film for me is near. Near perfection, as you said, it takes so many things that should not work and makes them work. And as you, uh, I dare to echo you, no matter how much I slag it off, there's so much here to to that I haven't even touched on that I could I could speak for hours on this film oh, yeah. alone. Yeah. Um, and I just I don't want to because the more you, it's almost like a, a, an amazing masterpiece in the gallery. The more you look at it and digest it, the more you love it. But as you start to take it apart. 
and what's what's the paint made of it's not going to be the same beauty nice it's out, it's out of love. I like it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, so I do love this. I, I, I think the the choices they made... Like there's also one part that one of the original, the early drafts of the scripts had Black Cat, uh, the the new gob, Green Goblin, mm-hmm. uh, and Doc Ock and Spider-Man all in this. Yeah. Um, so, so glad that they paired it back just to the two costume characters that, and they focused on a story that made sense and the... the 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 duality causing an issue in Spider Man's life. Yeah, yeah. It was just fantastic for me. I I can't I can't I, I can slag it off in a hundred ways, but only from a place of love. Exactly. Um, yeah, because exactly. that's all that's important. That's always that's important for me. Um, the the horror film theme as well also goes down nicely oh, because yeah. I'm such a horror buff. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I'm not going to take up any more time <laughs> and just kind of continue saying I love it. I do. 100% defend this film. So, thank you so much for listening as always. Uh, we will be back for Spider-Man 3 in our Summer of Spidey retrospective, uh, which we will be releasing on Fridays. We are also back for Defenders, uh, Marvel Netflix Defenders, on the 18th of August. Mm-hmm. If you uh, want to listen to all things Spider-Man and Defenders, please do um, join us at DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes or search Defenders TV Podcast on any other good podcast catcher. Subscribe, leave a review and tune in as always. Um, And of course, if you want to leave any kind of discussion or comment uh, over on Facebook, please go over to our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash, you've guessed it, Defenders TV podcast um, or you can leave uh, voicemails or any other feedback just go to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com Guys, thank you so much for uh, listening to us rant and my love letter to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2 um, and yeah, we'll be back soon with Spider-Man 3 and then don't forget very soon we'll have Spider-Man Homecoming, mm-hmm. Spider-Man is in the MCU and we're getting a whole film about him and Apparently Iron Man 2. <laughs> hopefully better than Iron Man 2, though. Um, yes, hopefully better than yes. Whiplash. Yeah, I've really, really been enjoying the Summer Spidey retrospective. Thanks, Chris, for uh, for putting us onto it. And, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, to getting on to, uh, to Spidey 3 and Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah, really looking forward to this. Absolutely. We'll speak with you soon. Bye. 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 Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does it ever spider again? Look out, here comes Spider-Man to Excellent. So we will be back for Spider-Man 3 in our Summer of Strange Summer of Strange Spidey record retrospective. Yeah. Oh my God, I am obsessed. Yeah, see, I told you. This is the outtake.